there are three words that are the same in every language. Doesn't matter where you go, you'll hear these three words, and they're always the same. Hallelujah. Amen. And (laughs) Coca-Cola. But the first two, they're not feeling words. Maybe you don't know this. Hallelujah is from the Hebrew, which means to praise the Lord. That's what it means. Amen is a a Hebrew word that means uh, this is the truth or so be it. They're not feeling words. Did you know that? They're not feeling words. There are times I don't feel like going, oh, I feel so good about praising God. They're decision words. They're direction words. They're words when we say, I want my life to go that way. Uh, so I just, I, I love that word. We, we said it there in the song, hallelujah. Would you, can you say that? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Pray with me, would you? Lord, we, we say this word because we want our life to go in that direction. Some of us feel that to our toes. Some of us don't feel it anywhere. But we both want our life to go that direction. We want our life uh, to lift you up, to, to make you beautiful. You don't need us to make you beautiful, but we want to be a, a participant in that. Thank you that because of the cross, because of the resurrection, because of what you've, the price you paid for us on a tree, that the hallelujah comes to us. So we pause and we receive that. We receive the blessings that you have to give to us, the good word you have to speak over our hearts and over our lives. Oh God, we need that. So hallelujah. Hallelujah. I pray this in your name and may the words of my mouth and meditation of our hearts now, Lord, be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. All of God's people said, Amen. Whether you're joining us online or here in the room, I want to invite you to remain standing as we read the scriptures together, wrapping up a series today on the heart of Jesus. And this is two short verses or three short verses here in the Gospel of Luke. And they'll be on the screen and you can follow along as I read aloud. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. And if you've read the Gospels, you know that's a pattern in Jesus' life. The people were looking for him, and when they came to him where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. Jesus had been healing them. And he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also. Then can you read that phrase out loud with me online and here in the room? Because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching In the synagogues of Judea, this is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you so much for standing out of reverence for God's word. Well, I wonder if you could uh, wonder with me for a minute at how Jesus did what he did. I don't know what you know about the geography of Israel, but there's this little corner of the world. Jesus didn't travel much outside that little small corner of the world, and somehow the message of Jesus, the person of Jesus, has now traveled the globe. Could you you kind of wonder at that with me for a minute? How how does that happen? 
Uh, I was in Israel um, in February of 2020 and uh, took some pictures while I was there. This is a, a recreation of a synagogue, what a synagogue would have looked like when you read about Jesus talking about the synagogues. This was, you know, the basically the, the religious gathering building in Nazareth, the, the small little town where Jesus uh, was born. You can see there, I mean, it might seat 120 people, maybe 200, maybe if you kind of packed everybody in, would have been kind of emblematic of uh, all of those synagogues around around the region. Uh, we traveled to uh, several of the cities that were around the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee might not be that much bigger than El Dorado Lake. I know we call it a sea, but it's not really that large. And we traveled around the Sea of Galilee, and we stopped at several places. This is a synagogue that they're um, unearthing in the, the town of Magdala, if you know the story of Mary of Magdala. And um, there, there, you can kind of see the same framework, if you can insert what you saw before right there. Uh, there they uncovered there what they call would be, in their terms, the pulpit, and uh, that Jesus probably stood behind. So I took a picture of myself preaching behind the, the pulpit that Jesus, I'm like, I, I'm pretty sure Jesus stood right here. <laughs> um, but but I, he, look, just think with me, would you, how did, how did all of that in this kind of far-flung place, little corner of the world, how did that get here? I've got a, a famous garage to show you. Um, I don't know if you recognize this garage. Have you ever seen pictures of this garage? Uh, this is Steve Jobs' garage. And if you don't know who Steve Jobs is, you probably have one of the products that he's spun into the world, Apple. Started here in this garage. It's the same question, isn't it? How in the world did something happening in this garage in California spread around the globe? Well, I mean, you might say, you know, the reason that happened with Apple is number one, it was incredibly useful. And then number two, just a tremendous amount of money and profit. I think the valuation of Apple is something in the trillions of dollars now. I mean, just ridiculous. So we can kind of get our heads uh, around that. Okay, well, we created this product and made a lot of money. Uh, but when you go back to Jesus and you ask the same question, Jesus didn't, at least for the first three centuries of the church, generate any profit. And I'm not, and Jesus didn't have a product that he was selling. In fact, if you, if you took the message of Jesus into your person, it was more likely to get you killed. So let's revisit that question. How in the world did that get here? Well, it's right here in Luke. Uh, it's what Jesus said he came to proclaim. He said, I came to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. So here's how Jesus did it. And then we're going to spend our time looking at what it means for us in our lives. He, he, did, he did it with a message about and a demonstration of his power. And he uses this language of a kingdom because that's what kings do is they have and they exercise power. That's, that's what kings do. Now, as soon as you hear that from Jesus, you got to understand that you are, um, you and I are immediately confronted with what that power means for our life. A number of years ago, I was, I, I was uh, just, I, I don't know if I was thinking, praying. I was, I have an office at my house and, and, um, and I write my messages there and, and I'm, I'm sitting in, and I, I, I had this thought, um, come to me. Uh, and I, I wrote it down on a piece of paper and I just happened to be, I was clearing out some pictures on my laptop and I found 
uh, this picture of the note that I wrote. I've got a, a picture of it here. I know you can't, I know I write like a doctor, um, so I know you can't read that. But here's, here's what it says. Uh, I wrote this down. I said, if Jesus were in charge of the church and only his opinion mattered, what would I do differently as a pastor? In other words, so if, if Jesus is the king of the church, if he's in charge of this whole thing, and, and somehow I'm tasked as a pastor to be the one out front, the first, one to go first at least. And if I, if I didn't get in the way of what Jesus was about, what would be different about me and, and my responses and my actions? Now, I know you could say, well, okay, that's a pastor. I'm not a pastor. But that's the question at stake when Jesus says he came to preach the good news about the kingdom of God. That's, that's what's at stake here. If Jesus is the king and you and I are not, if you are not the king, then what would be different about your responses and your actions and your life? I mean, that's, that's what we're talking about here. Now, I, I get that there are two groups of people hearing this message. Uh, the first group, I would, I would say, you're the, you're the folks who you already say in some way, okay, yeah, I'm already kind of in gear with what you're saying about Jesus is the king. I'd, I'd like to figure out how to work that into my life. I'm, I'm not sure I'm doing great at that. Maybe I feel like I'm doing it. But yeah, yeah, I get it. That's one group. And then there's another group that's at, you're, at the same time you're thinking, okay, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. I, you know, A, we don't have kings in our world, but, but that concept that someone should be in charge of me, I mean, come on. I just want to say that if you're in that second group, especially, I'm going to talk to the first group here in a second, but if you're in that second group where you, you kind of have the thought, you know, well, we don't, like, we don't do that. We're free and, and no one should be over us. That's, that's why we have America. Come on. I just want to suggest to you that there's always somebody in charge. Now, in, in our day and in our age, the, the person that we have all agreed is in charge is me. Like, I'm in charge. <laughs> now, maybe there's nobody over me, but it's me. I'm the king. And I just would ask you, I, I just would ask you to be honest about in your own mind and heart and life, do you really believe that you're freer that way? Like, has it solved the problems in your life? Now, I know some of you are, some of you, you're in that kind of already camp. And you heard me say, you know, if Jesus is, uh, you know, if he's leading the church, you know, kind of a dumb question, Scott. Dumb, right? If. I mean, because of course Jesus is in charge of the church. I mean, isn't he? Now, I just got to tell you, we just, you know, Phil did this thing of, you know, pastor and stuff. I'm not entirely certain that Pastor Jesus would be very popular. (laughs) Have you read some of the things Jesus said to people? You unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I stay with you? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to insert that into when, I, when people come to me for, for, for help. I'm just going to respond with what Jesus said. You unbelieving and perverse generation, how long? Like hashtag mean things Jesus said, you know? What we're, what we're trying to say is, okay, well, that, that if means, well, okay, if the church always had the same heart as Jesus, we're going to actually delve into what does this mean for our church starting next week? We're going to do a series called I Love, I Love My Church. But if, if, the ch- if, if the church, like this thing, if we were to do what Jesus did for the reason that Jesus did it and we pushed everything else by the wayside, I mean, 
if you've been around for a while, I mean, if you're one of that already camp, couldn't you agree with me that this was supposed to happen? Right? I mean, and what we're talking about here today is we're talking about this massive claim from Jesus that Jesus is over everything and that Jesus has absolute authority of and ownership of everything, hopefully including you. There was a uh, theologian from the Netherlands. His name was Abraham Kuyper. Abraham Kuyper uh, also was a politician. He at one point was the prime minister of Netherlands at the beginning of the 1900s. And he very famously had this quote. He said this. He said, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is Lord over all, does not exclaim, mine. Now I get it. We resist that. Like, wait just a second. Jesus is saying to us that he is the king. Now, when Jesus said you know, in Luke 4, 43, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God and the other, to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. We got to understand what he's, what he's talking about here, because when you use language of a kingdom, you're talking the language of rule and you're talking the language of authority. And you're saying, if there's a kingdom, that means that there is a king. And if there is a king, that means that king is in some way over his subjects. Now, I understand most of our frame of reference for kings and queens is England because, you know, we were a colony of, of, of England. And when we think of kings and queens, we think of maybe Queen Elizabeth. And, and Queen Elizabeth basically functions as a figurehead. We're not talking about that. We're talking about an actual king who is actually the ruler over his people. So, so when you think about a king, you ask questions like, okay, well, what kind of king is that person? Uh, how, does that, how does that king reign? I mean, like, what are his policies? In other words, is that king good? Is that king kind? Am I going to benefit? And when we put, our, we put our heads to thinking about that category of kings and kingdoms, then we, we automatically kind of go, well, well, does Jesus just mean that? Is that what he's saying here? Is he saying, you know, I'm just a better version of what you already know? Because rightly today, there are a lot of questions about power. There are a lot of questions about how power gets used, about who abuses power. And I understand in in this environment where you could hear this language of kingdom and go, well, is Jesus just another version of that? Like, let me show you how to exercise power over people. And what I want to suggest to you is that Jesus is a different kind of king, and he has a, he has a better kingdom. So I want to give you uh, three windows into what Jesus is like, and these are from three pivotal scenes in Jesus' ministry. And I promise you that all three of them challenge our values. When Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, uh, right before he's crucified on Palm Sunday, well, in a few weeks, you know, we'll have Palm Sunday and Easter. I know you don't believe that's almost here, but it is. And uh, we'll, we'll celebrate that again, and the kids will come through here with palm branches. And uh, Jesus comes into Jerusalem, and if you know the story in Matthew chapter 21, I want you to just notice some things. If you've read this before, maybe you've not noticed before, but I want you to notice some things. Matthew 21, 7. They, that was the disciples, they brought a donkey and a colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. And then a large crowd spreads their cloaks on the road and cut branches and spread them on the ground. And here comes Jesus. Now, what is he riding on? I'm going to show you a picture in just a second. Don't, don't put the picture up just yet. He's riding on what? 
a donkey, right? Okay, so I, I want you to compare that. Um, I, I'm going to call this, the, Jesus comes in on the kingdom of the donkey, not in the kingdom of the white horse. Now, now we, we may not know the history or understand the history of this, but you, you, when someone conquered in Jesus' day and they wanted to show that they were in charge, what they would ride in on was a white horse. And why do you ride in on a white horse? Well, it's this, this majestic animal. And you want to say, I'm the conqueror. And it was often a thing where the conqueror would come in and they would even have behind them some of the people they defeated in battle still in chains. And, and they came in and they were expressing to everyone their power by virtue of who they defeated. And you knew that that person had blood on their hands. And it was a symbol of their power and their conquest, right? Everybody knew that's what conquering kings do when they ride into a city is they come in on a white horse. So how does Jesus ride into Jerusalem? Jesus is the king. How does he ride in? What does he ride in on? A donkey, right? What is a donkey a symbol of? It's not a symbol of conquering. It's a symbol of something like humility, right? It's a symbol of peace, a uh, a donkey pulls things and a white horse displays things. Do you see the value system Jesus is trying to say? This is what I'm like. I'm humble. Next scene, the disciples are arguing um, over Jesus, uh, with Jesus about who's the greatest. You know, they've been with Jesus for a, a while. And you would think that they've watched this humble person who's willing to associate with anyone. And you would think it would rub off on them. But kind of toward the end of their time with Jesus, before Jesus goes to the cross, Jesus finds them arguing, and the thing they're arguing about is who is the greatest. <laughs> now, I'm greater than you. No, you're not. I'm greater than you. And here's what Jesus says to them in, in uh, Matthew chapter 20. He says, listen, guys, you know how power works in our world. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Have you ever had a boss who lords it over you? You feel so warm and fuzzy, don't you, toward that person. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And then he says, and that's why I, I came to be the servant. So not only, am I, not only am I humble, but I serve. Then there's a scene, and this is emblematic of Jesus' whole ministry, um, in Mark chapter 1, Jesus is stood up in that synagogue picture I showed you of, and he's done some teaching, and someone comes in with what the, the scriptures call an unclean spirit. We might say that person was mentally ill. We might say that person was possessed. I don't know how we would frame that person today. But Jesus, this is an unclean spirit. And, and Jesus heals that person, this thing. And he just got done teaching about the kingdom of God. And this is how Mark records what people said. The people were all so amazed. They asked each other, what is this? A new teaching. You know, we heard his words. And with authority, he cast out an unclean spirit and he gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. And news about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. I understand that today you know, that people, when you read this kind of passage in the Bible, um, and this is not just people who are not Christians, but Christians as well, they kind of go, okay, wait, miracles? Well, I don't know. Does that happen? 
And I get that's, that it might seem like a problem to you, and this is not a message about that. I, I believe in miracles. But I just want to point out what's going on here. When Jesus heals someone, he's not suspending the natural order of things. He's restoring the natural order of things. Listen to what he's doing. He's saying to the person, I'm going to return to you what was taken from you. Have you been around someone who's suffered greatly in life, either physically or emotionally or psychologically? And you think, and you know, if you know their story intimately and you hear all the details of their story and they're just just this suffering. What you got to understand is the way Jesus would interact with people like that is he would say, listen, I'm not just going to say a bunch of words to you. I actually have the power to return to you what was taken from you. And he restores to them what life took from them. So here's this this humble king, here's this servant king, here's this king who restores people. Jesus is a humble servant who restores. That's a different kind of king. And then not only is he a different kind of king, but he has a he has a better kingdom. And now you gotta understand Jesus is doing all these things, and, and very frankly, the disciples who were with Jesus for three years, they saw him do all of these things. They basically misunderstood Jesus the entire time. If you read Mark's gospel, uh, the disciples are always missing it. And only at the very end of Mark's gospel, when Jesus is on the cross and all the disciples have fled, there's a Roman centurion who's standing there at the cross and he looks up and sees how this man died on this cross. And he's the only one who gets it in the entire story. He says, truly this man was the son of God. And the disciples miss it the entire... See, everybody expected that when the Messiah came, that the Messiah would be a warrior king. It'd be like Braveheart. On a white horse with a painted face. Kicking butt and taking names, right? And instead, what they got was this humble servant who touches the wrong people. Now, what's Jesus saying? He's, I'm, I'm, I'm a different kind of king, and I, I don't use power to crush people. I use power to give life to people. So what's the kingdom of God then? Why? Well, I, I like to think about the kingdom of God as just a way of describing an atmosphere. Uh, have you ever worked in an environment? Uh, don't raise your hands if you currently are in this. That's a toxic work environment. Have you ever been in an environment like that? You know, you're like, oh, I hate going to work, but I need the money. It's, it's an atmosphere, isn't it? Versus if you have a, a healthy workplace, it's a, it's a different atmosphere, right? It just, it just, you can pick it up in the air. And, and Jesus says, I'm, well, if I'm the king, then the atmosphere around me, let me tell you what it's like. And if you know the teaching of Jesus, Jesus used parables. So let me use just uh, four parables here. If you're taking notes, the, there'll be blanks there you can fill in about how the, how, the, how the kingdom of heaven works, who is in, what it costs, and who pays. Here, how, how does it work? Well, it influences everything. Jesus uh, used the same phrase. The kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like. And he gives all these illustrations. And he told them a parable, Luke, Matthew 13. That the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. It, it's like this little something, little bit that has a little bit of time and some proximity and the result is transformation and and what was this 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 loaf that was going to turn into it was going to turn into saltines 
And I don't know about you, but I only eat saltines when you're th- when I'm throwing up. Is that, I don't know, maybe you love, I'm sorry if you love saltines, but like it's an unleavened piece of bread. I think that's all it's good for. But Jesus is saying, listen, when, when you get in proximity to my kingdom, what happens is something comes into you and begins to influence everything about you and it rises and then it, you're able to give life to other people. The kingdom of God influences influences everything. And then, the, then Jesus says that the kingdom of God welcomes anyone. Welcomes anyone. Uh, Jesus tells another story. The kingdom of heaven, Matthew 22. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. And then Jesus begins to tell this story about a wedding banquet. It's a feast. It's a party. It's like he prepared this thing for his son and then he tells all the people to come and they all, they all say, no, we don't want anything to do with you and we hate you. And then, and then Jesus, in verse 8 he says, so he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out of the streets and they gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. I mean, anybody could come into the kingdom of God. And it's, and it's a feast, right? I'm, not, I'm skipping over a, 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 a bunch about the radical nature of the parable just to say that Jesus is illustrating here, who's welcome? You. You're welcome. And what are you welcome to? Well, it's a party. It's, like, it's a feast, we're not talking about a, like a really boring church service. I know we're in church, so please don't say that. That's happening right now. But, right, right. but it's like a party that you want to be at. And I know some of you are introverts. You're like, I don't really like parties. It's a party where there's a little corner for introverts, okay? And it's a party. Some of you may have heard of Tony Campolo. He traveled. He was a Christian professor, and he traveled around, would tell these kind of crazy stories. And he told this story one time. He wrote a book called The Kingdom of... The kingdom of God is a party. And he, he opens the book and he, he tells this story. He said he was, he was going to Hawaii to speak. And if you've been to Hawaii, you know, big time difference. And so it's about three in the morning, he's wide awake. And he's hungry and, you know, there's nothing open. And he kind of wanders the streets and, and he finds this bar that's open. And he's sitting there and he's eating a burger and some fries or whatever it is. And, and uh, very obviously these, this loud group of women come in and it's very obvious to him that they're prostitutes. And he listens to them, listens to them talk. One of them's name's Agnes, and Agnes is talking, and she's talking about, yeah, tomorrow's my birthday, and they all laugh, and they're like, yeah, yeah, all right, you're like, you're going to get anything for your birthday, and, and he can kind of tell she's kind of hurt by those words, and then, and then they leave, and he turns to the, the bartender, and he says, now, do, do they come in here often? He's like, oh, yeah, they come in here all the time. So the next night, he goes, the next day, he, he you know, gets a little bit of sleep, he goes, he finds a bakery, and um, he has them make a cake. And he writes, happy birthday, Agnes, on the cake. Two, three in the morning, sitting there at the bar. They come in again. And uh, there's that cake. And he says, Agnes, <laughs> this is for you. And, and she gets just big tears in her eyes. She says, nobody's ever done anything like that for me before. What are you, mister? What kind of person are you? He said, I'm a Christian. She said, no Christian's ever done anything like that for me. He said, well, this one did. Do you get a sense of what Jesus is saying here? (laughs) Anyone's welcome. 
And then, then the kingdom, what is it? It, it, it asks everything. Jesus tells in a row two small little parables in Matthew 13. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And a, a man found it, hid it again, and then his joy went and sold all he had and he bought the field. Now, you've got to understand what's happening here. The kingdom of heaven is the treasure. God's kingdom, that's, that's the treasure. And the man, that's you and me, uh, when we find it, um, we, you know, he says, it's like you're walking, you got a piece of real estate and you're out walking, you know, your dog and you see this for sale sign on this, this field and you're walking out there and you see a, a treasure in the, you, you realize you, your foot kicks something and you dig down a little bit and you recognize, oh my gosh, this is, this is a treasure. And you think, okay, well, what I can do is I can go sell everything that I have because you look it up online and you see the price of the, of the field and you go, well, okay, if I sold my house, I sold my car, if I got a mortgage, okay, okay. Yeah, I could pay for that. And then once I have that, then I can take the treasure out of the field. I could resell the field and just get my money back. And Jesus says the kingdom of heaven's like that. It's worth so much that you'll leverage everything that you have in order to get it. It's good, but it's going to ask everything of you. And, and, and for those of you who are investors, you know, you, you give up something to get something. And, and Jesus is saying, yeah, you're going to have to give up everything on the front end. But the reward is you get the treasure. And you could potentially get your investment back too. Do, do you see that? But it asks everything of you to get it, it. It's not like I can walk out there and just take it and it's not going to cost me anything. That's going to ask everything of me. And then he tells the second parable, and Jesus is telling us that the kingdom um, of God withholds nothing. He says, and, and again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, went away, sold everything he had, and bought it. Uh, okay, so the kingdom of heaven is not the treasure. The kingdom of heaven is the, the merchant, the one who's looking. And when he finds one, he finds a pearl of great value... He sells everything he has. Now, I want you to notice the difference in those two parables. Do you, do you see that the first parable asks everything of you, but there's a huge payout? So there's, a, there's a, an upfront cost, but there's a lot of benefit. This parable, there's an upfront cost, but the merchant bears all of the cost. Do, do you see that? So who's the merchant? Merchant's God. Who's the pearl? <laughs> you! <laughs> You are the pearl. Do you understand that? I don't know if you get that. Like, if you got that, you'd be like, oh my gosh, God. Me? God withholds nothing to have me? Me? Are you kidding? I guess no one gets it, but that's okay. It's it's fine. I mean, this is, the cross is the price God pays for you to belong to him. And he's willing to give up everything so you can live in his kingdom and live in his atmosphere. Do, do you see that? So I got some, just, we got we to kind of apply this, okay? And the band's going to come up. We're going to sing a song here. Guys, if you'd go ahead and come on this way. I just got three questions for you. Three heart shift questions. What, what if, what if you were to let God's kingdom influence everything about you? Like that leaven, you were to let it work through every part of you? I, 
I know we hear that quote from Abraham Kuyper, you know, there's not one square inch over the whole world that is over which Christ does not cry mine. I think as folks who've been around this for a while, I think we say, yeah, there's not one square of my inch of my personal devotions and my church going over which you don't have full and complete control. But I'd kind of like to have control over my church going too. <laughs> you know, we kind of hedge our bets a little bit. Could you think about your life for a second? If a humble servant king who is about restoring things that have been lost were to be over your life and you let that work all the way through everything, you let that work through your money, you let that work through your time, you let that work through your priorities, I mean, what would that be like? Man, I'd, I'd love to have humility and restoration. I mean, I'd love to have that flowing all the way through me. But guess what? I have to let it go all the way through me. Second question, what if I saw myself as a servant to everyone? Because here's Jesus, the example. He's the, you know, he gives himself up as a servant. What if, what, if, what if you changed how you saw yourself? And you, instead of seeing yourself as a, as a victim or seeing yourself as a villain or seeing yourself as the hero or seeing yourself as the guide, whatever, however you see yourself in the story that is your life, what if you saw yourself as I'm, the, I, I'm choosing this? I'm not, I'm not choosing to be a doormat. Don't hear me say that. But I'm, I'm choosing to see myself as a servant to everyone that I come in contact with. How would that dramatically alter if you worked in a toxic work environment? How would that dramatically alter that for you? What if I saw myself as a servant to everyone? And then let me, this is the last question. Maybe it's the most powerful. What if I was healed? You know what you're carrying. You don't get through life without hurt. You don't get through life without pain. It just doesn't happen. All of us on some level say, oh, if that could be healed, if that pain could be, could be salved over, if, if that. And, and sometimes when you get deep into hurt, what can happen is you can define yourself by your hurt. And so you, you can't see that God wants to restore you. All you, you define yourself as that, like I'm the person who had this done to me. Now I'm not, I, I, please I'm, I, don't hear me. I'm, some of you have been through some awful things and I'm not trying to legitimize abuse. I'm not, I'm not saying that. But if you could Take the frame around your life is, is my, my story is the frame that matters and you could replace it with the frame of the kingdom of God and go, that's the story that my life, that's the picture that I'm in that God's putting me in. And what if I could be healed? What if I didn't have to be bitter? What if I didn't need to find people to go come on my side? What if I could forgive? I mean, that's the atmosphere of the kingdom. Do you, do you see that? 
when you came in, I hope you uh, grabbed communion. If you're joining us online at home, I, I hope you have some kind of cracker or juice or something. I, I want to invite you to take these elements with me as we think about a different king who has a better kingdom. I invite you to take that top off and hold that little wafer in your hand and then peel that other top just so you have both of these elements ready. In a minute, the the team's going to sing. And if you would like prayer for healing, anything in your life, it could be emotional, it could be physical, I'm going to be right down over there and I would love the chance to anoint you and pray for you and pray for your healing. And we'll, we'll do that in just a minute if you want to do that. But uh, this is emblematic. These, these little elements here represent the meal that Jesus took with his disciples on the night that he was betrayed. Uh, Jesus knew, he understood that what he was doing was going to get him killed and he walked right into it for you. He was willing to sacrifice himself for you because he's the merchant looking for the pearl and he was willing to give up everything without being repaid so he could have you. That's the message of the gospel, right? So I'd invite you, would you, could you take this little wafer? It it represents Christ's body that was broken for you so you could understand that you are the pearl of great price. Could you do that to say, as you take it, could you say, God, thank you that I am the pearl of great price. I don't know if you believe it. I just want you to say it. You you don't have to say it out loud. You can say it in your heart and mind as you do that. Would you receive these elements with me? And then as Jesus uh, was with his disciples there, he took the cup and he said, this represents my blood that's shed for you. It's a, a covenant, a new covenant that I'm making with you for the forgiveness of your sins. You understand, I hope, that forgiveness is about healing. Would you drink this and, and be reminded that Christ came for your healing? Would you just even say as you drink it, Lord, I want to be healed. I want to be whole. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you're a different kind of king. Thank you that you have a better kingdom. Lord, in as simple a way as we know how, we want to receive it. We want to welcome it. We want to be a church where where you're the king, where just as a church, we just do what you do for the reasons you do them. Nothing else. That simple. That pure. Lord, bring your healing power to my my friend who's here this morning, who's who's, uh, stuck in bitterness. They're deep. They're deep in it. There's legitimate hurt, but it's it's become, become a wound that they've nursed for a long time. They're not sure how to get out. Thank you that you're not, you're never overwhelmed by how broken we are. Thank you. Would you bring your healing to them? 
helps them to see that the, the seat at the table of the feast of your kingdom is, is, is ready for them and they can come sit down and enjoy the party with joy in their heart again. Thank you, God, that you restore. Thank you. So we receive you, Lord, as king. If you've never done that, you could just say, Lord, I I want you to, Jesus, I want you to be in charge of my life. I need a better leader. Be in charge of my life. Forgive me for my past. Give me a new start. I, I just need your help. Lord, we receive you as king. We receive your kingdom, the atmosphere that you breathe, the atmosphere of your grace and your peace. Oh God, let it influence everything about us. Pray this in your name. All God's people said, amen.